the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, gay than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the Praise the Lord. Perfect. Well, good morning. Good morning. We're going to take a little time to consider Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're going to look at a number of different verses throughout Scripture, um, but our, our focus and our meditation, our primary meditation, will be on Romans 12. So let's go ahead and read that together. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is uh, that or what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day, for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you so much for giving us your word uh, that we have all that we need for life and godliness, and uh, that every word of Scripture is. Uh, inspired and breathed out by you. Uh, help us today to learn and understand your word and your desire for it to impact uh, the way that, that we think and the things that we do, and uh, that we would leave here uh, more equipped to honor you. Uh, anything that I would say of my own opinion or will, that that would be uh, forgotten and that we would only uh, see the truth of your word here today. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this verse uh, tells us that through the renewal of our mind, uh, we can understand uh, a little bit or a portion of the will of God. And this has always been something, and I hope for anyone who claims to be a believer, uh, a desire of theirs, to know what the will of God is uh, for them and in their life. And sometimes it can be hard as we seek, uh, you know, Lord, reveal your will to me. What is it that I should do? What is the will of God? And what I would like to propose from this verse is that the will of God uh, is that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. If we are able to identify things that are good and acceptable and perfect, we will then know what the will of God is. Now, the will of God is multifaceted. There are many uh, aspects. There's a whole uh, doctrine and theology on the will of God. We can consider... Um, his, his sovereign will that um, 
will absolutely occur no matter what happens. And these, these different, his, um, the will that he desires, his, uh, his hopes for us to obey, uh, these different aspects of the will of God. But today we're going to consider it as uh, his desire for us to take the right course of action. And we're going to consider, uh, or I want us to think about three different areas that God has a will and a desire for us to obey and do the right thing, to do those things that are good and acceptable and perfect. The first is our conduct. This is the way that we think, the things that we say, and the actions that we take. Our belief. God has a, a desire for us to know uh, doctrine and, and theology and, and things about Him. And I would even include here our attitude about what we believe. Right? Very often we can, we can encounter other uh, true Christians that have um, differences of understanding in the Scripture and we may have a condescending attitude towards them about it. And God has a will and a desire for our circumstances. I put the word nouns there. Uh, nouns are people, places, and things, right? So God has a desire. Uh, God even places us in a situation. We're born around certain people. We're born into a certain place. And we're born into a certain time and age with certain technology. And as we go through our life, we make choices that uh take us around to different people in different places and different things. And God has a will and a desire for us to do good and acceptable and perfect things as we navigate our circumstances. So I want to think about, uh, again, as we build this framework of how to understand this passage and, and, and more practical questions of how we can understand what things are good and acceptable and perfect, different levels of decision-making that we are faced with. What I would call first level decisions are commands and laws in the scripture. We, there are sometimes we don't need to seek, uh, God's will in prayer. That it's written in scripture. We don't need to ask him about lying or murder or stealing, right? These are clear commands, uh, simple mandates given to us in scripture. Where we often spend our time struggling are on second level decisions. These are things that seem morally neutral. Now, uh, when I say morally neutral, I mean um, without any context, right? Where, where we might go to school, uh, a relationship that we might, we might uh, pursue, how we might respond to someone who has asked us a question. These things that on the surface don't have a specific, clear mandate. Now, maybe in our individual context, the Lord uh, has a specific, uh, you know, get a red car, not a blue car. I don't know why that would be the case, but maybe the Lord has something like that. Uh, for us. And this is where we typically find ourselves seeking the will of God and wondering, should I do this? Should I do that? What do I need to do? And this is where we're going to sort of let our mind uh, rest as we consider what things are good and acceptable and perfect. But there's also third level decisions, things that I would call trivial and trending. Uh, there are many little decisions we make day to day that would be and some might disagree with me, I would say silly to consult with God. Now, again, he may have a specific will for the type of cereal you have for breakfast or, or, or something of that matter. But there are also situations that I would say we can't consult with God. For example, which, which leg do you swing out of bed first, right? These little autonomous things. We make thousands of decisions all day long. And, and these are not the sorts of things that we need to... Uh, uh, pursue 
uh, unless the Holy Spirit has, has called us to make a specific um, decision in that type of area. But these second level decisions, what is uh, not clearly mandated in Scripture, that's what we want to know how to find good and acceptable and perfect decisions for. So let's first look at what is good. We've got lots of different verses um, in, in different portions of Scripture. So if you want to have little uh, practice amongst yourselves, a little sword drill, uh, you can flip around with me. Uh, but if not, I'll read them all out here. Uh, the first thing, and I would say the primary thing that we know is good, is the Lord and His statutes. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 68 says, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So the Lord is good. And this doesn't simply mean that He does good things. It means things are good because He does them. The Lord is the absolute definition of that which is good. With nothing above or superior to Him, He is the definition of what is good. He does good. He is good. And thankfully, as the psalmist says, He can teach us His statutes. He's given us uh, the Bible, everything needed for, or for godliness, um, and all of these laws and commands so that we can see what is good and that He will teach us as we genuinely uh, pursue that knowledge. And there's another verse that may have already come to your mind when we think of what is good. Micah 6, eight. There's three things in there we'll look at really quickly. The verse says, uh, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, some versions will say kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Doing justly. What does that mean? So, when we think of justice, sometimes you may think of uh, judgment. A lot of times when we think of um, giving people what they deserve, we take a, a very fleshly uh, spin on that. Yeah, I'm going to give somebody what they deserve. Uh, but it also means not withholding uh, the, the, the grace and the loving care that the Lord would show other people, right? Oftentimes we... We don't take, we're not interested in helping someone or we're not even interested in perhaps someone in authority uh, giving them what they're due, right? If they've been placed in authority above us, we're not interested in uh, uh, maybe taxes or something like that. But what is just is giving people what they, in, in some senses, deserve. But the second part of this, uh, to love mercy, right? That's where we're kind of uh, bridled a little bit, right? Because again, uh, giving people what they deserve. That may sound fun sometimes to us. I'm going to give them what they deserve. But loving mercy. Now this changes the uh, the heart of when we are doing things justly, right? We could do something justly with a bad heart, right? We could obey a mandate or a command or do something, all the while grumbling and hating it and not wanting to do it. But when we uh, are doing things that are just, being just and righteous... And we are loving mercy and kindness, right? Not always, in the negative sense, giving people what they deserve, right? Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we are taught to extend mercy um, only so far as it is kind, of course, right? Our, our children may need um, a lack of mercy from time to time. Uh, but that is because we are being kind to them and trying to raise them up in the fear of the Lord. Um, and then to walk humbly with our God. And I think this one is um, this makes me think of uh, our, our, the call to pray without ceasing, right? Praying without ceasing is something that hopefully we've all taken the time and thought about a little bit. How do we pray without ceasing? 
Right? How can you do that constantly? How could we even talk to each other if we're in prayer at that exact same time? And I think many of the answers that have been offered for that thought on how to pray without ceasing um, coincide well with this idea of walking humbly with God. It's, it's a practice of, of uh, constantly reminding yourself of God's presence and, and God's will and constantly uh, or consistently, I could say, uh, seeking Him and remembering to be aware of who is with you and who you are trying to serve. Walking humbly with God. You, you can't walk with someone uh, in this sense that you uh, constantly disagree with and butt heads with, right? Walking humbly with God means to uh, that we acknowledge and we accept and we are doing our best to, back to that first point, follow His statutes and humbly our, our, our doing mercy and our, our doing justly and loving mercy is not from a place of exalting ourself, right? So what is good? When we have these decisions, when these things come to us, these are the sorts of things that we can consider. Is this just? Am I coming from a place of loving mercy? Is this, uh, does this fit with my humble walk with God? And again, is it clearly mandated in His statutes or not? Uh, and we'll convert these uh, in a few moments here to some practical questions that maybe we can um, remember as we try and make some decisions. Uh, so what is good and what is acceptable? In the Old Testament, when the, the sacrificial system was in place, um, Leviticus 22.20 says that whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. Things without blemish were acceptable. God set up this system and he had a way of doing things and a way, uh, the types of sacrifices that we could, that he would accept. And they were things that were without blemish. They were not second rate. They were not left over. They were the first and the best and the purest. So how does that translate to um, the New Testament where the sacrificial system in the killing animal sense uh, does not seem to be prominent. Proverbs uh, 21.3 starts us towards that New Testament understanding. Uh, and it says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And I guess I couldn't say that it starts us towards a New Testament understanding because it, it's still the Old Testament understanding here in Proverbs. That doing just and right is acceptable to the Lord. Righteousness and justice are what is acceptable to the Lord. And in Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, it says, You were once in darkness, but now you are in light, or now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So as we walk, with the Lord, right? Again, I would bring back this idea of uh, praying without ceasing. That in everything we do, uh, every time we transition activities, maybe we remind ourselves of the Lord's presence. Uh, we pray um, whenever we have an awareness of, uh, you know, I, I try, I fail, but I try to, you know, every time I get in the car to pray, when I get out of the car, I try and find these moments of like, in between things that I can remind myself, nope, stay in prayer, stay in prayer. I fail miserably. Uh, but that's the type of thing that we're trying to do. Walking in the light. 
walking, staying in this communion, this relationship, this closeness with God, so that regardless of the level, right, of the decisions, whether it's uh, commands that the Lord can bring back to our mind, whether it's these second-level um, difficult decisions, or even if it is those trivial decisions, that the Lord would be um, the first thing on our mind as we try to consider what is acceptable. Walking in the light and considering the Lord and His statutes and laws. And First Peter 2.5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So spiritual sacrifices, for those of us who have put our faith in the Lord, which, by the way, is the only way that we can have a renewed mind. Right? Our verse said through the, uh, um, to be transformed and not conformed through the renewing of our mind so that we can test and know what is the will of God. And that comes through our faith in the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice made for our sins. And when we've accepted that and we've been brought into his family, we're now called a holy priesthood and we offer spiritual sacrifices. And I would suggest that a spiritual sacrifice is chiefly our our will and our desire, who we are, uh, being turned back over to God so that he could uh, affect it and change it into what he wants it to be. But it is also things that have spiritual significance to a physical act. Right? Just before our Romans 12:2 verse, he says, I beseech you to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Obviously, there's a spiritual significance to that, a spiritual counterpart. Yes, we're to give our bodies, and it's a sacrifice because it has spiritual significance, the giving of ourself to the Lord. The things that we do, whether it's worship or service that have a spiritual impact, those are the things that are acceptable to the Lord. And what is perfect? Again, we would be amiss to not first acknowledge that God and His ways are perfect. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock, His work is perfect. All His ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Just as um, that which is good is that which God does. He is the very definition of good. He is also the very definition of things that are perfect. And without God and his perfection and his laws, we would have no way to gauge and determine what was good or acceptable or perfect. And I want to consider that perfect often carries this connotation of completeness. It doesn't lack anything in job 37 verse 16 it says do you know how the clouds are balanced those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge so to be perfect in knowledge means there's no lack there's nothing missing from that type of knowledge it is complete and a lot of times uh, what we will do is we will serve the lord or we will make a decision and we won't, um, we won't trust the result to God. Um, I think being overbearing in service could be something that I would say is not complete, right? We may, we may serve the Lord in a ministry and then, uh, find ourselves overpowering the 
work or decision of the Lord. And we're trying to get in there and affect the result. And there's a degree to which we should be earnestly working. But there's also a sense in which we, we do the work and trust the outcome to the Lord. He is the one that is going to, to do these perfect works in us, as we'll see. Um, we don't need to add anything to the work of God. He works through us, but he doesn't need us to, to help him out. He allows us to participate in his plan. The work is complete if we leave it to God and serve him willingly. And it's pure. Things that are perfect are pure and without... Uh, they're unsullied. Uh, in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler, verses 16 through 22. says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So it seems this man actually thought of Jesus as merely a human teacher. So Jesus almost sarcastically says, why are you calling me good? Only God is good. Implication that he is God. He says, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Now, whether he did or not, that's an impressive claim to say that he's kept all of these things. Um, never lied or honored his father and mother, loved his neighbor. But Jesus seems to go along with that claim. And he says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me but when the young man heard that saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions so this young man uh, seems that he to a degree wanted to follow god and wanted to have eternal life and be justified but he was holding on to a little again if we take it at face value he held on to something. He did all these things. He obeyed all these commands. But there was this one little part. Um, his obedience to God was impure. It was not complete. He had this little bit that he was reserving. And often our motives for service will be impure. Um, whether that's to be noticed or um, simply to check off our service to God checklist. We often don't have a pure serving to the Lord, or there might even be a sin in our life that is, is making our service to God impure. But things that are, are pure are things that God considers perfect. So, breaking this down into what I would think are some good questions to ask when we have these sorts of decisions to make. And a lot of times you don't have to have perfectly clear answers to all of these questions. Uh, you may have some combination of answers. It may, it may present more of a uh, a leading in a certain direction rather than a black and white answer, uh, except for this first one here. Uh, does God command it? Right. That that's that first level question. We don't need to dig in into finding out what God wants if it's a clear command in Scripture. But is it just and fair? Does it 
serve the, the needy? Does it obey authority? Does it demonstrate mercy or kindness? Are we doing it from a place of um, uh, seeking out vengeance? Or are we enjoying it in a spiteful or envious or malice, malicious sense? Is it self-exalting? Is one of our motivations for doing it, right? A lot of times we'll do things that is uh, self-exalting in some sense, but not because we wanted it to be, simply because people will like it, right? But is our motivation, is our desire for doing it self-exalting? And is it purely motivated? That ties closely with self-exalting. And that lack of envy and malice and spite. Is it purely motivated? Is it being done because we want to... Uh, honor and please the Lord through the things that we're doing? And does it have spiritual significance? If it doesn't, it's probably not as important of a decision. Um, But let's think, for example, of maybe confronting uh, a Christian in their sin. Does God command it? Well, it is in Scripture, absolutely, confronting believers in, in sin. Is it just and fair? Well, yes, in a sense, it is absolutely just, right? It's commanded by God. If someone is sinning, they deserve um, judgment from the Lord. And maybe, though, we're doing it uh, spitefully. We've been hoping, you know, we, we confront this person viciously. Is it then obedient to God? Is it good and acceptable and perfect? If we're confronting sin, which is commanded, which is just, but we're doing it happily, right? If you're happy, to confront someone about their sin, if you don't have any sorrow, um, odds are that that service or that act is not going to be good and acceptable and perfect. Is it self-exalting? As we confront them, are we using ourselves as an example of what they ought to be doing? Is it purely motivated? Again, tying into what we just discussed. Why are we confronting them and are we enjoying it? Does it have spiritual significance? Absolutely. It absolutely does. And then does it create needs or problems? And I think this is back to that idea of perfect being complete. So not only the possibility of us um, being overbearing on a situation and obeying a command in Scripture, but then uh, trying to force the outcome, well, we can create needs and problems. If we confront someone um, in a disorderly fashion, right? we create more work for the body of Christ. We create more distance and division in the body of Christ. And that is an imperfect act. So this is the sort of the sorts of things we can consider to d- determine if something is good and acceptable and perfect. And if it is, if we find ourselves um, assessing that something is good and acceptable and perfect, then if we have done a good job of assessing that, we can trust that that is the will of God. Things that are good and acceptable and perfect. So the verse also says um, uh, that you may prove. Some versions will say test and discern. So what does that mean? Right? So we have this, uh, we'll look at this closely in a minute. But we've come to Christ and we've had our mind renewed so that now we can test and discern to know what is the will of God. So obviously, we have to repeat this over and over. The, the, the clearest test and discern, testing and discerning that we can do is knowing the Word of God and comparing it to Scripture and seeing if it holds up to what the Scripture says. We can go through our understanding uh, to the best of our ability through uh, the guidance of the Holy Spirit and through prayer and, and do our most genuine effort to see if something is good and acceptable and perfect. But 
the word uh, written there, prove, in some versions says uh, test so that you may discern, really has this idea of experimenting almost. Testing so that you may know. Now, it doesn't mean experimenting in a, in a worldly sense like let's just you know, throw it together and see what happens. But this is coming from a place of being uh, transformed with a renewed mind, genuinely seeking the will of God, that the grace of God is a very big safety net for our mistakes. Very often, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come to a place, and maybe even with trying to seek out if something is good and acceptable and perfect, we're still not sure. And maybe in some instances, the Holy Spirit would call you to just wait. But testing something so that you can know. Uh, the, the, God, the grace of God is very, uh, is much bigger than our mistakes. So if we are in a genuine way seeking the will of God and, and we think, I'm not sure what the right thing to do is here, uh, it seems fairly neutral in terms of uh, morality and I don't have some clear answer from scripture, uh, the Lord seems to protect us in our mistakes so we can try things, right? If we're not sure if we should um, go to a particular school or how to respond to someone, right? Imagine someone asks you a difficult question um, and you're not sure. I mean, you, you've cleared out the, any envy or anger you may have in responding to them. You genuinely want to help um, and you're not sure what to say, um, right? The scripture says, uh, don't plan about what you're going to speak sometimes, right? Just open your mouth and be bold. Uh, just test it out. Say what you're going to say. Uh, oftentimes, I'll, I, I've spoken, and then afterward, I realize, oh, I said something that didn't make any sense, or I was wrong. But the Lord is gracious in those circumstances. We test so that we can know and discern. We learn from those situations. And if we've done our best to honor God and His will, we trust that His grace will be sufficient for any errors we may make. Now, all of this comes from the place of a renewed mind. No one will be able to determine what is good or acceptable or perfect without a renewed mind. And only the gospel can start this process. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete. Right? So we can think about that idea of perfection there. Make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing, right? Things that are acceptable in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Apart from God, apart from Christ, we do not have a renewed mind. We have a, a twisted, sick, dead, decaying mind. And we cannot assess what is good and acceptable and perfect. The world tries to determine what is good and acceptable and perfect by either things that serve them, by the culture, uh, uh, by these, these temporary, flexible, changing things that are not good and acceptable and perfect. But when we've recognized our sinful condition and our separation from God and the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus made by dying on the cross for our sins, that that was the perfect sacrifice to make up for all of our inadequacies, to cover our sin and our guilt, when we accept that sacrifice, He renews our mind. He gives us this uh, the ability now to test and discern. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can begin to navigate 
but truly what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, our mind is renewed and we can begin to test and discern. And if we have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, we will go through life deceived and blind, thinking sometimes that we can make decisions, but it will be by our own power and it will not be good and acceptable and perfect before the Lord. And it will not have spiritual or eternal significance, at least not in a positive sense. And once we've come to Christ and we've had our mind renewed, we've been given uh, life into our mind, God is the one that works in and renews our mind. Second Samuel twenty-two thirty-three says, God is my strength and power. He makes my way perfect. Now, That does not mean God forces perfection on your way, right? The first part of the verse says, God is my strength and power. So in this context, this person is acknowledging that God is their strength and power. They are not trying to do it on their own. They are acknowledging and and doing their best to give up their own will. God is my strength and power. And if that's true, then he will make our way perfect. And that doesn't mean it will be easy or uh, fun or comfortable, but it will be uh, within his will, right? When we acknowledge that God is our strength and power, when we're in that state and in that condition, then we will be obeying the will of God. It's when we come out of that, right? When we come out of God's strength and power and we try to do things on our own, that's when we begin to veer from the will of God. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good Pleasure. Again, that term good pleasure meaning <clears throat> acceptable. So God works in us, not only to empower us and enable us to do the things that will be acceptable to him, but more importantly, to will, to change our will and our desires to be more like his. And that's the root of what will be acceptable to him, right? We've said it before. You can, on the outside, serve, uh, do things that look like service to the Lord, But if your will and your desire and your motivation is impure, it won't be service to the Lord. It won't be good and acceptable and perfect. God, through our renewal, through our attempt on our best human desires to to walk humbly with the Lord and to walk in the light, to acknowledge that he is our strength, he will work in us and change our will and help us to work for his good pleasure. And what is our role? As God does this work in us, as he completes this work, what is our role? Colossians 4.12 talks about someone named Epaphras, a bondservant of Christ. And Paul says that he is always laboring fervently in prayers for this church, that they could stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So prayer is one of the most... uh, probably the most, I haven't thought that statement through, but it is one of the most powerful tools in being conformed to the will of God. Here we see someone praying for the other, praying for a body of saints, right? So we ought to pray for one another that we would be made perfect and made conformed to his will. But of course, we can also uh, pray that that would be true in our own lives, in our own hearts, that we would be uh, conformed to the will of God. If we try and find a a regimented, systematic way to obey God and we're missing out on the connection with the Lord through the Holy Spirit, 
in prayer, we're going to be struggling uh, and trying to do this on our own power. But if we're in prayer, acknowledging that God is our strength and power, that's how we will be given access and, and changed and conformed into the will of God. The Scripture. We're to read the Scripture, memorize the Scripture, and meditate on the Scripture. We have the Word of God. Everything pertaining to life and godliness is there. There are clear commands, but it still says everything pertaining to life and godliness is there. And that tells us that even on those morally neutral issues, that there are principles and lessons in the Scripture that will guide us to the answers that we need. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of the Lord dwelling richly in us. Even in the Old Testament, Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. This idea of not simply reading the scripture periodically or, or even on a brief daily basis, but that we're getting it into our, uh, into our eyes, into our mind, and into our heart, right? Reading, memorizing, and meditating. We read the scripture, we memorize the scripture, and we meditate on the scripture. And this will uh, teach us the law of God, right? We looked at a verse that said, the Lord and his ways are good. So one of the best ways to know what's good is to memorize his, his laws and his ways. It says that the Lord and his ways are perfect. So we should memorize them, we should study them, we should meditate on them so that we'll be able to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. And as we uh, pray and as we study the Word of God and, and memorize Scripture and meditate, we should also remember that we've been given a fellowship, a local body that we can use to seek counsel. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. We have the Holy Spirit, who is absolutely entirely sufficient to guide us and to teach us all things and to bring to remembrance everything that the Lord has said to us. And we have a local body that God has given us so that he can work through a group of believers to grow up uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that would be honoring to him, a holy priesthood that works together, that prays for each other so that we can collectively do the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this uh, goes back to this idea of walking with God, praying without ceasing. The more we make a lifestyle of this and don't simply do it in crisis situations, the more we, this becomes a lifestyle to us, the less traumatic crossroads will seem to us. People encounter these situations. Again, should I move to a new place? Uh, should I end this relationship with this person? Um, you know, should I confront this person about this uh, issue? And these will always be challenging things that come up to us. But the more we've walked with God in day-to-day -day and in those smaller situations and those smaller issues, the less traumatic and challenging these other situations will seem. The more we've spent time building our relationship with the Lord through prayer and understanding his heart and his will and his desires for us through reading and meditation and memorization, the more equipped we will be to assess what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So sometimes when we struggle to know what the Lord has for us, if we can look for that which is good and acceptable and perfect, we can find the will of God for us. And again, it's worth saying one more time, the scripture gives a number of things that are clearly the will of God for us. Things that we are told to do and told not to do. And the more we spend time in Scripture, the more we will know those things. But the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to have your mind and have your will and have your eyes and your heart that we would uh, seek not to be robotic in our obedience to you, but that we would look for uh, things that are good things that are just and righteous and uh, that lend, uh, that, you, that, that are things that you allow us to participate in for the furtherance of your will and your plan here on this earth, uh, that we would find out things that are acceptable as we walk in the light. We would find out what is acceptable to you, that we would strive so much to be obedient and selfless in the things that we are doing, that we would honor you and glorify you and bring attention to you, that we would uh, do our part and only our part and nothing more, that we would, uh, we would serve you and obey you and trust in the outcomes that you have for the work that you give us, even if it's not what we expect, Lord, uh, that you would change not only our wills and our minds, but our expectations, that it would be uh, conformed and submissive to you. Uh, help this be uh, something that we consider as we make decisions that the word of God would influence uh, the way we think and the way we act. Uh, and it would be something that helps us further your kingdom here on this earth, that we could be vessels for that. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.